Center for Addiction and Mental Health is calling it a crisis in our country. After years of campaigns dispelling the stigma around mental health, we are now facing a shortage of mental health care support. With some wait lists a year long, leaving many Canadians with nowhere to turn for help. Fewer than one in three Canadians with mental illness are able to access care. People are figuring out what they need to do to get by day to day, and the swell of anxiety, depression, substance misuse comes after that. Uh, and then since that time, there's been doubling to tripling it's, uh, of, of requests for services. The pandemic has put pressure on a system that was already fragile. In a poll conducted by Angus Reid in partnership with the CBC, 54% of Canadians felt their mental health had gotten worse during the past two years. The Canadian Mental Health Association finding that the pandemic made the patchwork system of care more visible. And while the government has committed $50 million to support mental health distress centres, Tragically, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has disproportionately affected various disadvantaged groups in Canada. Uh, people who weren't served well before the pandemic have no, are seriously noticing that they have not been well served during the pandemic. An open letter written by 65 national health associations to federal mental health and addictions minister, Carolyn Bennett, is calling on Ottawa to respond to the crisis with an election promise of $4.5 billion towards mental health services. There are many Canadians of all ages still waiting for systemic change. Today on Context, mental health, a nation in crisis. Welcome to Context, I'm Maggie John. Our first guest says the mental health care system in this country was already in dire straits before the pandemic. What the past two years have done is create a call to action. Dr. Sylvan Roy is a neuropsychologist who works with Toronto's inner city family health team and is the past president of the Ontario Psychological Association. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Roy. Thanks for having me. So are we in a crisis when it comes to mental health care in Canada? We are. Uh, I think everybody acknowledges that. We've been in, in a crisis mode for quite a while now, and our services were fragmented before the pandemic. Uh, but because of the pandemic, the impact on our populations, the impact on children, and so many other individuals, um, it's, it's created such a, a, a lack of access problem that we have to really put all our efforts into figuring this out moving forward. You say that the pinch the system is experiencing should have been addressed 10 years ago. We're hearing of people who have to choose between bus fare to get to work or buy their meds or even seeing a professional for treatment. How overburdened is the mental health care system in Canada right now, practically speaking, for the common Canadian? Yeah, well, I think the first part of the problem is probably addressing the funding to mental health. Uh, you know, traditionally, mental health services have always un been underfunded in Ontario and the rest of Canada. And what that results in is that the, the training of providers, for example, doesn't happen overnight. So when I said we should have really thought about this 10 years ago is, you know, my point there is, you know, we knew there was a crisis at the time. We knew that stigma was being addressed effectively in various campaigns, uh, but we really didn't 
put any investments in training new social workers, psychologists, psychotherapists, and all the other providers out there that do support mental health, including our nursing and uh, nurses and physicians. Now, mental health care in this country is expensive. Canadians spend an on average, I, I couldn't believe this, Dr. Roy, $950 million on private practice psychotherapy, 30% of which is paid out of pocket. Some have said there is a lack of social and economic support for people living with mental illness. Is This is an area that is dominated primarily by the private sector. And for the most part, you need to have access to benefits to see a therapist in this country. Is that also part of the root problem? It, it can be because it creates a two-tier system. And this is what something in a our, you know, our, our, in our medical counterpart world where uh, you need cancer care, for example, or surgical care, uh, or you need uh, access to our, our great physicians in our hospitals, uh, that's less of a problem. Now, there are still problems, but when it comes to mental health, the majority of the workforce actually works outside the publicly funded system. Um, so a lot of my patients, for example, are homeless, uh, and many of them have trauma and have experienced uh, you know, um, brain injuries and so on, and the services are just not available available for them. And, and then beyond homelessness, there's the issue of poverty uh, as well, right? So the, the idea of accessing private psychotherapy, psychology, uh, in any of the private, it's very expensive. And we've done a little bit better in providing some workforce, uh, some um, uh, workplace benefits for a lot of workers. But we have also have to remember that we have hundreds of thousands of people in Canada that are on disability, for example, that do not work, do not have access to extended health benefits and so on. So again, there has been a push to increase um, some plans for, for workers, but we're still far behind in terms of making sure that there's true equity in the mental health system. The statistics are also very scary when it comes to the fact that one in three Canadians are able to actually access care. What does that mean for those not getting the help that they need? What we've seen is if you don't end, if you if you don't receive the care you need early on in life, or even when you actually need it in a crisis or something, what people are more likely to do is go to the hospital or use emergency services um, uh, in, in such a way that it becomes even more problematic. So a lot of our clients, for example, might visit uh, an em emergency department um, 30, 40 times. Uh, a month, uh, and you know they're seeking the care, and it's not being provided. We uh, we discharge them back to home or back to shelters, and these individuals don't end up getting the care they need. And what that results in is tremendous levels of costs, financial costs to our healthcare system. We're delivering uh, you know worse care than they should be getting, and it's costing us more. So some of that money could be diverted to community agencies, for example, or community practitioners. Uh, to open up access to these services. But the cost is really phenomenal when we think about, uh, you know, misappropriation of services, for example, or misuse of services. Um, going to the emergency department to get care is not the way to go, but it's often the only place many of many of the Canadians have to, to, to get the care they need. Right. Dr. Roy, I do want to ask you one last question. In March 2023, medical assistance in dying will be accessible for those living with mental illness. With a lack of resources in this country, do you think we'll see a surge of people who haven't received help choose death? I don't know. I can't answer whether or not we'll have a surge. Yeah. Uh, I can confirm that there will be individuals seeking that services as a way out because they have been they have been unable to access the care they need in the system that we have today. So it is a problem. We do have a lot of uh, individuals asking to end their life uh, currently because 
you know, they're suffering and we haven't, you know, delivered the services they need to help them overcome the challenges that they have. Um, so I believe it's going to become an ethical decision or that question that we'll have to pay attention to. Um, certainly, uh, a lot of great people have to put all their, you know, their thoughts into this to figure this out. Because at the end of the day, we don't want people to, yeah, you know, to use this program uh, to analyze when some of the service could have been offered, for example. So again, it's going to be an ethical issue that we're going to have to think about. Uh, I would love for us to see more thoughtful discussion about what services should be covered in the healthcare system. And obviously, if people want to use MAID, they should have access to. But at the same time, we want to make sure that the care that is available, that is scientifically proven to be effective, is available to all Canadians and not just those that can pay for that. Absolutely. Dr. Sylvan Roy, thank you so much for your time today, sir. With one in five Canadians experiencing mental illness by the time they reach 40, we know that people of faith are not immune to mental illness as well. Luke Benjamin is the former pastor of Corner Gospel Church. After serving as a pastor for a number of years, he stepped down due to burnout and what he says was a decline in his mental health. Thank you for joining us today, Luke. Thank you so much for having me. Now, as I said, you'd been a pastor for a number of years. What happened over the past couple of years that caused you to make that decision to step down? Yeah, for, for sure. So um, over the last year or so, um, I, I'd faced several different situations, you know, in the church and, and outside of the church that were, you know, kind of amping up the the stress in my life. And, and at first, it just kind of started out as, you know, your basic you know, normal kind of stressors you face, but the the more that they kept piling on, the 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 more the stress turned to you know chronic anxiety, and the more that turned to depression, and and eventually uh, leading to panic attacks. Wow, you know, Luke, thank you first of all for sharing this. I think men tend to not share their struggle with yeah. mental health as much. And then on top of that, being a pastor that's supposed to have all the answers and not have any personal struggles themselves. Thank you for sharing. I think a lot of men that are watching are gonna be like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm also going through this. What was it like struggling while also caring for a community, Luke? It, it was quite hard. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a difficult thing to, to to have to you know take care of people but also try to look after your yourself and you know look after my 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 family my my wife and I it's it, it was a difficult thing to 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 try and and balance right it's it's almost like you said right it, it's almost like you have to put this this picture on as if everything's okay but really it's it's not you know some days I'd be kind of going through the motions as as if I was being another person in public, you know, it's, it wasn't, it just added to the anxiety. And what made you realize, Luke, that this is, as you said, a, you know, mental health decline and not just you hit a rough patch. It was the pandemic, you know, you could list all of the things. How did you realize that in listening to your body, that this is something I really need to, to seek uh, care for? Well, the, the basic day-to-day -day things, you know, even just as, as simple as deciding what to to have for dinner or or just making the basic life choices became too much for me it wasn't it wasn't just about 
you know, uh, people saying things to me at the, at the church and they were hard to handle, but just, you know, I didn't, didn't want to leave the house. It was, it was a lot for me to, to make a, your basic choices that you need to make day to day. And that was when I began to realize, you know, this isn't just, you know, a, a patch. This is something I, I've got to take a step back and, and really examine myself and, and, and get some help. Yeah. What do you think the church, the big C church needs to know mm -hmm. about pastoral burnout? Yeah. I, I think they need to know that it's, it's more common than maybe they even realize. I, I think as, as pastors, we're, we're, we're starting to, to realize it more and more, but I don't know how much the, you know, the church as a, a whole uh, under, understands that, you, you know, it's, it's, it, it's hard for, for a, a pastor to, to, to handle this kind of situation because we end up even unintentionally uh, isolating ourselves. You know, we, it's, we can't really share what we're going through with, you know, with the congregation because it's, and, and then we, we end up just bottling things inside. I, I think that the church needs to, to know that, you know, maybe the, the pastor is dealing with more than, than they're able to, to share. Yeah. I always say leadership is a lonely, lonely place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would you say to help those in ministry that are currently dealing with mental health and need some hope and also maybe just need to realize, yeah, maybe I need to talk to somebody about this. Yeah. Uh, sharing, sharing what's going on with yourself isn't, isn't weakness. Yeah. I think is what people need to know, especially you, you alluded to, to, to men too, right? There's that, that idea of, of wanting to be, be strong and wanting to put on a, a brave face. But when you're in, in leadership in a, in a church, there's, there's that as well. You want to be doing well. You, you want to say that things are, are going well. And, and I, I think that it's, yeah, people need to know that it's, it's not, a problem to, to share with, with someone, you know, find, uh, find someone you trust, find uh, another pastor, find someone that you can actually open up to. And, and I feel that makes such a, such a difference. Yeah. Thank you so much, Luke, for sharing just a bit of what you've gone through. And I know that your story is going to bring hope and maybe some relief to some people listening that can identify and say, yeah, maybe I need to reach out to someone and get some help today. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, no problem. The Q panel weighs in. What is the church's role when it comes to the national crisis around mental health care? But first, psychotherapist Roxanne Francis joins me in studio to discuss the shortage of care in this country and what you and I can do to care for our mental health. In our fast-paced world, context is everything to the stories that are shaping us. We want to go beyond the headlines in our new podcast to create space for meaningful conversations, to explore where faith intersects with justice, ethics, culture, and society. We'll be joined by newsmakers, peacemakers, and culture shapers. Join us on all podcast platforms or at contextbeyondtheheadlines.com. Well, 
as we've heard so far in the show, the situation around access to mental health resources is dire in this country. So what can we do as Canadians if we're looking for support and can't wait months or even years to see a therapist? And what do you do when you're a person of faith struggling with mental illness? Well, psychotherapist Roxanne Francis joins me in studio to discuss. Welcome back to Context, Roxanne. Thanks for having me, Maggie. Okay, so we just heard uh, Luke's story. You know, mm. former pastor uh, was doing well and then felt like he needed to listen to his body. Mm -hmm. He was facing uh, mental distress, he says. So how do we know when we've just hit maybe a rough patch in our life? Maybe, we've, you know, we've hit some stress or when we actually have realized, wait a minute, I am in mental distress mm -hmm. mental, and I'm struggling through a mental illness and I need to see help. Yeah, usually when you are in just a rough patch, it's often contextual. So you have a disappointment, you have a disagreement with someone, you're struggling with an issue at work, and it's usually time limited, right? So after that issue or that context, no pun intended, has been resolved, uh, oftentimes your mental health gets better. Mm. What we need to look out for is when you find that you are struggling day in, day out for weeks and months at a time, and it, there seems to be no hope in sight or no resolution. If your mental health continues to struggle uh, for weeks or for months, then I would say you might be struggling with a significant mental health issue and you need to try to access some support. Okay, and then, you know, there has been some stigma around the church mm -hmm. and people of faith when it comes to getting mental health mm -hmm. uh, or support. Uh, and I think the church has done a pretty good job of trying to encourage that conversation. But what if you're a person of faith watching this and you're just like, I don't know if I really want to see a psychotherapist. Roxanne, I don't know if I really want to go see you because I'm praying about this mm -hmm. and I'm just focused on my prayer life. Mm -hmm. What would you say to somebody of faith that would feel that way? I would say to that person, if you went to get your eyes checked and your doctor says, well, you can't see beyond a certain point or it's too dangerous for you to drive, you know, if you go without glasses, then your first stop would probably be to go and get those glasses, right? So that you could correct your vision or so that you can drive safely. And so in the same way that we take care of our physical health, we need to take care of our mental health because health is health. And so whether or not you go to see a talk therapist like myself, or you access some other kind of support, you speak to a doctor, you access medicine, whatever it takes to take care of your mental wellness, it's really, really important. If someone got diagnosed with some kind of uh, you know, physical issue, they would go to doctors, they would probably seek a prescription, they would have a surgical procedure, but they would take corrective action. And so I think it's, while prayer is important, you know, it's really great to pray as you seek the other support. And so taking care of your mental health is really, really important because if we don't, unfortunately, it can be fatal. Okay, so that person says, yes, okay, I'm going to take care of my mental health, but there's a shortage, yes. Roxanne. Mm -hmm. there, you know, our system is just crumbling right now. Mm -hmm. you know, many have said that the pandemic has really exacerbated uh, what we're seeing when it comes to mental health care. Yes. So how do you find a therapist? What do you do if you really do need help, but you've called the therapist and they said you need to wait a year? But yeah, that's challenging. The wait lists are really, really challenging. Yeah. I would say uh, continue to seek out. Ask for referrals, uh, go online, search for uh, therapists, no wait list, and see what you can find. If you do have to go on a wait list, I would say don't uh, despair in terms of, well, I have to wait four months, so I'm not gonna bother. I would say not give up. 
do not give up. I would rather uh, do the other things to take care of myself while I wait. And those things include things that seem really simple but are very, very helpful. Go for a walk every day, drink lots of water. If you have access to fresh fruits and vegetables, have them. Uh, speak to a friend who has the time and capacity to hear about some of the situations. Uh, but also seek uh, community support because to be honest, as much as you know, I support people who are seeking therapy, I cannot uh, offer them counseling that will take away the fact that they live in poverty or that they've lost a job or that you know, they might have lost a loved one. And so if you can access some community supports to help shore up some of the uh, social issues that we're having to deal with that eventually impact our mental wellness, then you know, access those things and uh, try to take care of your, your physical body as much as you can. Try to take care of your own hygiene. If you're able to have a shower every day, you know, brush your teeth. These things seem really, really simple. But if we don't address some of those pieces, then while you are on the wait list, your mental health will unfortunately deteriorate. Yeah, isolation is not the thing you need to do no, at no, this moment. No. You need to circle yourself with community. We have a minute left, Roxanne. I wanna talk about men because, you know, what I found fascinating about Luke's story and why we really wanted to share Luke's story is because men don't always really share about their mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. So how do you encourage men to yeah, also do those things and realize that it's not beneath you or less of you as a man to be able to share that? On top of that, Luke was a pastor. Right. And so he was seen as the person that should have all the answers. Right. And yet he was struggling inside. Yeah. I would say be honest with yourself. Yeah. Recognize that none of us have all the answers and seeking support as a man does not make you weak. There are more men these days who are trying to access therapy or trying to take care of their mental wellness. And especially as men are, men are seen in our society as these providers, as these stalwarts, right? They can withstand everything, but they can't. They're human too. And so if we are not reaching out, then the isolation sets in and it makes it worse. Uh, ask for help seek support and you would be surprised if you bring this up with a friend as, as someone who exists in this world as a man, that friend might be relieved to have someone open up the conversation and so they can just be real and have some uh, uh, intimacy and some care, yeah. right? Have someone uh, express compassion. And I think we need some more of that in our society to be and honest. And that friend might say, me too. Exactly, as well. exactly. It gives people permission. All right, Roxanne Francis, thank you for joining us today in studio. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thank you for having me, Maggie. Experts in the field are calling it a crisis. Canadians from coast to coast to coast are waiting months, some years, to see mental health professionals, and some are struggling to even pay for the resources they need. Brian, should our mental health care system be so dependent on private care the way it is? Should there be more public support? I think that we actually need to look at some of the causes of why mental health is happening. I think there's there's real questions about public policy and whether we should fund it through the state or whether it should be private. But I also think that there's lots and lots for us to look at just in the way that we structure society. One of the things that we've noted at Cardis, we've done some work on social isolation and loneliness. And we know that loneliness, and this is something that's very, very connected with, uh, with COVID and um, with, with the ways in which we live apart and live alone, you know that loneliness is deeply, deeply connected to mental health. So one of the things that we found in our studies is that there are about 18% of people, of Canadians, are not certain who they might be able to depend on for emotional, emotional support in a, in a personal crisis. 
23% of the population uh, says that they feel very lonely and very isolated. And we know that these things are deeply, deeply connected to mental health, to, to the state of our minds and, and how we're feeling. So there's lots of questions I think about uh, public policy and whether we should invest more in, in our healthcare system and so on. I think that's important. But I also think it's important for us to look at the structure of our society and how connected we are and how that's contributing to mental health yeah. as well. Those are all good points, Brian. We have encouraged conversation around mental health care in this country. Now one in three people are able to access care. What do we do with this problem, Renee? Well, I'm just going to build on what Brian said. Um, I'm not sure that public policy is enough. I think access, as, as you pointed out, Maggie, is key. What fascinates me is, and actually saddens me, is, is even when we look at some innovative solutions like e-mental health, et cetera, um, there are some built-in assumptions that our indigenous communities, um, that perhaps um, communities of color, people who are wrestling with you know, determinants like poverty, isolation, like Brian has said, uh, low income or no income or underemployed, um, how are these people being seen? How are we seeing them? And how are we reaching out and walking alongside? So um, we should all be saddened by one in three, um, that statistic. I think that begs the question, is there, what inequities are built into the system in terms of access to mental health care yeah. and support? And who's being left out of the equation? Good point, yeah. there, Renee. We know that come March 2023, the provisions around medical assistance and dying will change, allowing those with a mental illness to apply for MAID. Does anyone mm -hmm. see the sh uh, you know, shortage of uh, resources and the opening of provisions being a problem? Moira, I want to hear from you first. Well, the question of access is certainly a problem and the, some recent cases that are showing that people will definitely maybe think about using MAID as an option because of mental health problems, but also those mental health problems with the recent cases have shown that they're tied in more to social conditions as to having actual mental illnesses as well, just that interconnection that both my speakers before have mentioned. And to me, this is a, a real problem uh, because to think about something like MAID as providing something that is really, really should come under our health services in terms of helping people live by improving access to housing, access to health. It really is, I agree, it's mostly about access. And because we haven't been treating mental health illnesses classified as mental health questions in the same way as we have been classifying physical health problems, then the access, access has really been shortchanged. And until our more socialized Medicare actually treats mental health illnesses in the same way, then I think you know, the problem continues was long before COVID. Again, there were reports after reports after reports and not enough being done. It's the usual question about social policy, uh, Medicare disagreements among the premiers as to how funds will be administered. But it does seem in terms of access that the quite, you know, one in three is an incredible number by end standards. And therefore, something clearly has to be done. Yeah. Where does time go? Oh, my goodness. Our time is up today on the Q panel. Thank you so much, Brian, Renee and Moira for joining me today.
This is one of those topics where I really don't have much to say. Our guests have covered this topic so well. We have a problem in this country and it boils down to support. Support when someone feels alone. Support when someone feels lost. Support to identify the feelings one is experiencing. And while we all know the scriptures like be anxious for nothing or cast all your anxiety on him or even I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, we are human. We all need support sometimes beyond the scriptures. I think of the image of Moses who in Exodus chapter 17 during the war between the Israelites and the Amicalites was told by God that as long as he kept his hands up in the air, the Israelites would win. Well, eventually his hands grew tired. But instead of those around him losing hope, they held his hands up for him. They supported him on either side. They fought the fight with him. It's okay to ask for support. Thank you for watching. Let us know what you think of today's topic. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. For all of us here, I'm Maggie John. See you next time. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads, a supporter-funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre for Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing context. You can write to Crossroads, PO Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R 4M2, or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs. Context Beyond the Headlines invites you to an exciting new season. This year, we're expanding our reach with a brand new podcast that will explore the interaction between faith, justice, culture, ethics, and society. As we move forward with this brand new season and the launch of this brand new podcast, would you consider partnering with Context financially? It is because of the generosity of viewers like you that we're able to continue to tell the stories that matter.